Welcome to Let's Talk About Grief with your host, Addie Anderson. While death and loss are subjects that nobody likes to discuss, you need to prepare for it and deal with it effectively. On our program, we talk to professionals as well as friends and family members who have lost loved ones to help you help others and understand the grief process. Now, here is Addie Anderson. Hi, everyone. I'm Addie Anderson, and I want to welcome you to Let's Talk About Grief. Each week, this is where we come together and we talk about all things related to grief, death, and dying. Now, today, I'm pleased to say that my guest is Dr. Janice Clark Johnston. Dr. Johnston has worked as a school psychologist in public schools, a supervising psychologist at a mental health center, an employee assistance therapist, and a private practice family psychologist. She has a doctorate in counseling psychology and has worked with children, families, and groups with presenting issues of anxiety, depression, trauma, loss, and relationship spirituality concerns. She has received awards for her dedication to parenting education as well as for her involvement with the Domestic Violence Center. Dr. Johnson is an active participant in numerous volunteer activities in her community, a frequent presenter at national psychology and educational conferences. Dr. Johnston has published journal articles, book chapters, and she has written two books. The first, It Takes a Child to Raise a Parent, Stories of Evolving Child and Parent Development, and the second, Midlife Maze, A Map of Recovery and Rediscovery After Loss. In addition to augmenting and supporting personal growth in families, Dr. Johnston is a master gardener and loves nurturing growth in the plants in her yard. Welcome, Janice. Thank you, Addie. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure for me to have you here, and I must say that Janice and I know each other uh, in a different capacity, not through our professions. So this will also be my first time hearing a lot about what you're going to share, you know, about your book. So it is a thrill for me to be here. And so I, I believe I've mentioned on the show previously that... I just kind of organically got into, you know, um, working with grief and and just going out to kind of figure out and learn a lot about grief and loss and ways to help the people that I work with. It was definitely not something that I just kind of went out there and said I was searching for. So just kind of out of curiosity with you, uh, Janice, at what stage in your career did you get interested in grief and loss? Well, I initially worked as a school psychologist, and there were so many children on my caseload who were experiencing loss. Actually, many of their parents were also grieving some loss. Sometimes it was loss of their parents, but I think that grieving was always a career topic on my mind. And my graduate school offered no coursework on grieving. I initially bought Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's book on death and dying to educate myself. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's pretty common, too. You know, graduate schools not offering 
you know, um, much information on grief and loss. One of those universal issues that we all deal with is just kind of interesting that that doesn't happen. So, yeah. okay, yeah. I And so kind of like me, you just kind of organically fell into it based on the presenting issues that were coming to you with, with the families that you were serving. And yeah. at some point got the idea to write this book called Midlife Maze, A Map to Recovery and Rediscovery After Loss, which I think is awesome. So um, when you talk about midlife, just so we all are on the same page understanding what this age range is as it relates to your research, like what is the age range for midlife well, that you refer to? Well, surprise you, Addie, because I find that people are shocked to know that midlife goes from age 35 to 64. Ooh. I didn't make the age range. It actually <laughs> comes from a longitudinal study called MIDAS, or mm. Midlife in the United States. But a lot of your life happens during this 29-year time span. Wow, 29 years. And yeah, I think... I don't think most of us expect to hear 35. <laughs> no. <laughs> you know, as mid, so. you know, as the beginning of midlife, but I can certainly I can certainly see that. And so then you you thought about at some point you got into writing this book, Midlife Maze. And so let us know what was your motivation for even writing the book for this segment of the population? Well, I had several things happening. I think that every author wants to leave their readers with some kind of sense of discovery. For Mm -hmm. example, books on humor hope that their readers might discover a funny bone. But nonfiction writers want Mm -hmm. to give their readers a fresh point of view about some topic that is special to them. Mm-hmm. And this topic became even more special to me because of losses in my personal life. Mm-hmm. I had a psychology private practice where I was working with people in midlife who had all kinds of loss. But then the losses in my own family started piling up. So mm-hmm. it really was a topic that I thought needed a fresh point of view both personally and professionally. Okay. And so were you, like, within this age range when you decided to write the book? Yes, indeed, I was. I was um, right in there with some of my clients who had moments of thinking that they were in a maze, in a maze <laughs> of emotions, and how do I find my way out? Mm-hmm. I think that's a great analogy, a great way to explain how a lot of people experience grief. You know, it's like you, you do feel like you're in a maze, and you turn this way and you're stuck. You turn that way and you don't feel like you're advancing or going in the right direction, and so you just feel lost a lot of times until you can figure out how do I get myself out of this yeah so yeah it does feel like lost and lost at the same time (laughs) Uh, yeah so also you know as I was as I was reading your book 
like I thought it was very clever in the way that it's organized. Like you have it in three parts and then you also have like, you know, acronyms for the chapters. So explain how all that came about because I do think it helps people to kind of follow through, go through the book, understanding the process in some ways of dealing with loss. Sure. Part one, I have labeled, there's a hole in the bucket. When I began thinking about this book, the word hole kept appearing, both in reading others' works on loss and grieving and also in my clients describing their loss. For example, Mm. someone said, it feels like there's a hole in my heart. And this word, whole, just kept coming up, and that reminded me of a song from my childhood. I don't know if you had this song when you were growing up, Addie. Mm-hmm. There's a hole in the bucket, dear Liza, dear Liza. There's a hole in the bucket, dear Liza, a hole. Mm. No, I don't you know remember that. Song? No, I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's okay. It Thanks is for singing a it for us. Folk song that was sung by Harry Belafonte okay. at Carnegie Hall in 1960, and then mm. later made popular by Pete Seeger. Mm. Anyway, the song goes on and on and on, and there's a hole in this crazy bucket and no one can figure out how to fix it. Mm. So that is how it got started. But part one is really about describing the common grief reactions that people have, everything from denial to nightmares. Mm -hmm. Part two, it's a part of the song, no worries, I don't have to sing anymore. (laughs) With what (laughs) shall I fix it? Dear Liza, Mm -hmm. dear Liza, some versions of the song say mend it instead of fix it, but the idea is the same. All of the suggestions to fix the hole seem not to work. And Mm -hmm. I think this is true for a lot of people. They, They believe that they cannot mend or fix their grief. And in a way, we understand that because grief, doesn't really disappear, but Mm -hmm. you can grow and learn a lot about yourself if you see your loss as a turning point in your life. So, Mm. yeah, loss is a trauma, but it's also a turning point. So, part two is about problem-solving your way through whatever holes of loss you might have. Mm -hmm. I Mm -hmm. offer some ways that you can meet your daily needs after a significant loss. And then part three, which is about before kicking the bucket, Mm -hmm. (laughs) before dying, you really want to focus on the idea that life is precious. When you think of living the rest of your life with personal growth as your goal, you can create a meaningful and even joyous life for yourself. 
I offer a way forward from sadness and grieving in this book. Hmm. Yeah, I so agree with that. And and when you say turning point, it's almost like what I'm hearing is that yeah, you know, we we grieve and we hurt and there is a lot of pain. But on the other side of that can be something that you probably would not have expected, you know, some level of growth in your life or something that you've learned about yourself in general and about, you know, just the world and life, you know, and, yeah. and on a broader spectrum. So it gives hope, right? That's what it sounds yeah. like to me, that there's hope as you go through this experience and process of grief. Yes, I I truly believe that that is possible. It was possible for me personally, and it was certainly possible for clients in my caseload. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So why do you think midlife is so tricky, Janice? Mm. You know, you focused on that, on, on that, uh, on that, in that age range. Like, why is that so tricky? Well, I think that young people often have a very idealistic view of life. They see life as a big adventure, and most of the adventuring part has to do with external things. Oh, Mm. I get to do this, or I whatever. Mm -hmm. But I think when you reach midlife, maybe not exactly when you turn 35, but (laughs) as you move into midlife, yes, you can see life as an adventure, but you come to realize that much more of life's journey depends upon your own internal thoughts. Mm. Who am I really? That's right. And also, I think life is the longest developmental stage for most of us. It's Mm -hmm. the time of life when your big choices still look good or maybe not so good. (laughs) And if your earlier choices do not look good anymore, what are you going to do about it? Mm-hmm. So we expect people to take care of business in midlife, mm-hmm. but it just may be when everything starts to feel like you're a bit lost in a maze, mm-hmm. that yikes, an unforeseen loss hits you. Yeah, and and when you talk about loss, right, like what are the kinds of losses that people face in midlife? Yes. Frankly, there are just so many. People find a job and perhaps lose a job. They find a home, perhaps they lose a home. Mm Mm-hmm. People find a partner, they lose the partner. Mm. People have accidents. Mm. Perhaps they have a child, and there are many possibilities that can happen next, but most parents will have the experience of that child moving away from home at some point. Mm -hmm. And then there are some people who desire to become parents, but... They find out 
they cannot have a child. Mm. Infertility, miscarriage, mm-hmm. stillbirth. And of course, there are many other health challenges. My younger brother lost two lovely wives to cancer. Mm. One died at age 39 of breast cancer. The second died at 49 of pancreatic cancer. Mm. Uh, Best man at my wedding died of colon cancer. Again, he was 49. And my husband died of a sudden heart attack at age 54. There's, oh, wow. there's really a long list of losses mm-hmm. that can occur yeah, it, in midlife, and the losses can feel like they're just piling up. I definitely, yeah, and you know, and I would imagine that a lot of people probably did not think of some of those examples, you know, that you gave us as examples of loss. In the sense that, um, you know, that they can really impact your life. (laughs) Yes. You you know, that they can really, really impact your life and and cause you some emotional pain. Yes. Yes. So thanks for sharing that. We're coming up on our first break. I'm not sure uh, if we can get through this, but what I I do want to ask you about, you know, you've talked about the losses and the different types of losses that we could uh, potentially experience in midlife, but now you, I, wanna, I want you to kind of focus on how can we create balance, you know, when our world has just been tipped upside down, you know, like these things are happening to us and we're in this maze and we're trying to figure out how to get to the other side. And so when we come back from break, I'd like for you to kind of start us off with that, if you don't mind. Sure. I'd okay. be happy to. All right. We're talking to Dr. Janice Clark Johnston uh, about her book, Midlife Maze, A Map to Recovery and Rediscovery After Loss. When we get back from break, she will let us know about uh, ways we can start to think about of getting out of that maze. So uh, come back so we can hear it, okay? It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Are there times when you feel inadequate dealing with the difficult emotions of grieving families? Would you like to help these families but don't know where to start? If so, grief counselor Addie Anderson can help. Discover what many funeral homes already know about meeting the emotional needs of families that they serve. Be a valued resource to families during a time when they need it most. They'll appreciate your commitment to their well-being. Call Addie Anderson at 708-870-6255 to schedule a consultation. Build a better business. Achieve that goal. Make good on that resolution. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. This is Let's Talk About Grief with Addie Anderson. If you want more information about our program, please feel free to visit therapyoakpark.net. 
That's therapyoakpark.net. Now, back to Let's Talk About Grief. Welcome back. We're still here with Dr. Janice Clark Johnston. So uh, I'm going to turn it over to you, Janice, so you can get us started on where we left at the end of the last segment. Good. Addie, you just asked earlier how you might be able to create a sense of balance when loss hits home. Mm -hmm. I would look at it this way. All of us have choices in life. Regardless of the situation that you face, there are choices. If you believe that everything in your life is fixed, that your personality is set in plaster, Mm -hmm. then you likely believe that your abilities will never improve. You're just lost in a maze that has no exit. And Mm. this kind of mindset is going to be very, very difficult for you to move forward. Mm. However, if you believe that you can cultivate new opportunities through your effort, you realize that your true potential is unknown. Mm. These descriptions, a fixed mindset versus a growth mindset, have been studied by Carol Dweck, a psychologist at Stanford University. And she finds that even children begin to show fixed mindsets versus growth mindsets. So guess Mm. what? We can model how to have a growth mindset ourselves if Mm. we want to raise children who believe that positive changes are possible. And certainly with grieving, when you have a growth mindset, you can turn your grief into fertilizer for new growth. Mm. Yeah, I like that. Fertilizer for new growth, <laughs> growth mindset versus a fixed mindset, um, you know, like allowing yourself to see things differently. And when you're able to do that, then you could have a different experience. But if you yeah. lock yourself into a certain way and, and seeing that as the only way, then, yeah, definitely I can see how you would feel stuck and unable to kind of manage a lot of the things that we have to manage in our lives. Mm-hmm. Definitely see that. So let's let's move on and start talking about some of the things that we might be able to do, you know, when, when we're uh, grieving. Like, what would you say is a good model for grieving? Well, I like the research that was done by Susan Carter and the clinical work of a nurse, Anne Solari Twaddle, at Loyola University in Chicago. Their grief work is called the pinwheel model of bereavement. So if you picture a child's 
toy pinwheel. That pinwheel starts to spin when there is an initial gust of wind. Mm-hmm. And picture that being the wind of loss. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the pinwheel might be hit with such a large gust of loss that it feels so intense Mm. that wheel is just flying Mm -hmm. but consider that the center of the pinwheel is an anchor or your personal history Mm -hmm. so how that pinwheel turns and spins depends a lot on your core strength or your personal history of being resilient. So Mm. the ideas about grieving in the pinwheel model include being stopped, your life being interrupted, Mm -hmm. lots of pain and hurting emotion, missing and yearning feelings for all that has been lost, Hmm. An attempt to hold on to what was good, looking for meaning or Hmm. support, and a valuing of what matters most in life. And if you think then about moving forward, yes, you are going to think about your loss from time to time, and that pinwheel will spin again. But usually, it's for a shorter period of time if you have been changing. Mm. So, once again, if you have a growth mindset, you have a releasing of emotions. And you Mm -hmm. reach out to create some new opportunities for yourself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I really like how this model is hopeful. Mm-hmm. Because we all need hope, especially around the topic of grieving. Absolutely, definitely need hope. And in the pinwheel model, I have to do a bit of research on that myself. But when you mention the pinwheel, you know what what I think about is that I use a pinwheel at times with clients. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. And I do. You know, I have them. You know, you how you have to take that deep deep breath you know that diaphragm breathing in order to kind of yeah that deep belly breathing and you 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 blow into that pinwheel to get it turning so because it's um, like a mindfulness activity as well as also to help with um dealing with some of the anxiety that that some of some of us deal with so the pinwheel model that's interesting definitely and so also in your book, though, Janice, you talk, you give some great information and insight on things that people can do to kind of help themselves move through. And I also like that you have tips and turns and uh, exercises that people can do. But one of the things that you talk about is journaling. So tell us how journaling can be helpful to, to the griever. Yes. Writing or journaling is a powerful way to deal with your grief. There are many ways that you might journal 
one way would be to take the simple exercises in each chapter of Midlife Maze and write your answers to the questions and then use your answers to propel yourself into feeling better. Mm. Another way to journal is to keep a dream journal. After my husband died, I kept track of the dreams that I had about him. There are simple tricks in the book about how to remember your dreams, but Mm -hmm. the basic idea is to keep some paper or notebook by your bedside. And when you wake up, review the key parts of your dream quickly in your mind before you even sit up. And Mm. then sit up, grab your notebook, and write immediately. There's a reason why dreams are so hard to remember. The part of your dream that's oh so vivid, that Mm -hmm. you might remember and forget the rest. That's okay. But that part of your brain that remembers things shuts down during dreaming. Mm. Another kind of journaling that is perhaps a little easier is a gratitude journal. I kept a gratitude journal for a full year after my husband died, and then I did it a second full year after my father's expected death at age 90. It might be the easiest kind of journaling, but it does take commitment. Mm-hmm. Yes, you write every day in your <laughs> gratitude journal. I mm-hmm. chose to do that writing before I went to sleep every night. You choose one to three things that you are grateful for that particular day. And they don't need to be big things, but this actually serves a double purpose. You put yourself into a peaceful mode before Mm -hmm. sleeping if you're thinking about gratitude. But then during the day, even a bad day, you might have to remind yourself, oh, I better find something I'm grateful for so I can write something tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, some days are harder than others for, for every grieving person. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. having the idea that poet Maya Angelou had when she said, this is a wonderful day. I've never seen this one before. Mm. It's grabbing onto that attitude and Mm -hmm. looking for what is a wonderful thing that happened in your day. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, I am a firm believer in keeping a gratitude journal. And um, for the mere reason is because it helps to shift your mode of thinking, you know, so if yeah. you're focusing on negative things a lot, one of the things I recommend to clients often is to just start to keep a gratitude journal because what we know is that you can't hold a negative and a positive, a negative thought and a positive thought at the same time. So right. 
start to look for those things in your life, like you said, they can be very small Mm-hmm. that can kind of help you, that can propel you and to show evidence to you that things are not as bleak as they may sound. And I know that, you know, when you're talking to someone grieving, especially in early, early grief, it's very difficult to even fathom the thought of finding anything grateful for the loss that, you know, people have experienced. And yes. so, yeah, that's tough. So how, what do you say to, how, how would you recommend that early grievers, like, or do you think er, people in early grief should also try and keep a gratitude journal? Yes, I think that it can be helpful in the early stages, but an exercise that I find even more of a powerful one is to draw a map of your personality and the drawing doesn't have to be pretty because you're feeling pretty lousy in the beginning mm-hmm. stages of grieving. But you start with a blank sheet of paper and a box of colored markers. And somewhere near the middle of the paper, you sketch something to stand for your core self, mm. the true center. And actually, this is to remind you that you have a core self. You have Mm -hmm. a place of calm centeredness that you can always come home to, regardless of what is happening in the outside world. And then around this center sketch, you add the parts or roles that you play out every day. And you'll find many opposites. In all of our personalities, there is an angry part as well as a joyful part. Mm -hmm. There's humor as well as fear. Mm -hmm. And I think just giving a name to what it is that you're feeling is so powerful. And to see, okay, here are these opposites. Oh, wow. And look how big this one is. I drew this really, really big. Uh, for example, guilt might be one that is a very, very large drawing the first time you make a map. But mm-hmm. our personalities can change. They are not set in plaster. This has been well-researched. <laughs> so people can change how they are. They can change their personality. and. Um, that mapping exercise is the best way to figure that out. And it also sounds like mapping is a way for us to kind of see our progress, you know, to see how things are evolving over time. Because you mentioned that, you know, you might draw something this time and it looks like this. You might draw your guilt you know, uh, 30 days later, and it looks differently. And if we don't see it or have something tangible that we can actually, that reminds us as to our growth, then we might feel like we're not even moving. Yes. Yes, that's exactly right. Okay, so let's look at now, we're coming up shortly on on another break. So, but I I definitely want you to kind of, Talk to us about models for grieving. 
you know, uh, or role models for sure. Like, are there role models for grieving? Uh, you know, and, and what do you mean by that? Okay. Can you tell us a little bit now? I really like to look at people who have had just incredible things happen to them, but to see how they have made a turnaround in their life. Mm-hmm. So one person that I really admire is the actor Christopher Reeve. He played mm-hmm. Superman in the movies a while back. I'm dating mm-hmm. myself. <laughs> I, uh, talking about Christopher Reeve. but I know I think, him. I think a lot of people might know who this is. Mm-hmm. When he was 42, he experienced a devastating accident. He was horseback riding, and that accident of coming off his horse left him paralyzed. And yet, he chose to exercise his brain. He worked tirelessly on stem cell research. He set up a foundation to help people who had spinal cord injuries like him. He directed films that had health issues. And I loved what he said. He said, once you choose hope, anything is possible. Mm. What, what a wonderful yeah. model he is to show people that Wow, when the chips are really down, you use what you can. And he did have his brain. Yeah, and I think, you know, for you to even use him as an example, that people can go back and just kind of study his life after that accident to see how he managed the the numerous of losses that he experienced after that yeah as as a role model to say oh you know not that you're going to do it like he did it no but at, right but at least you'll see what it took for him to even do a lot of the things that he did what do you think about that i think that's a great idea mhm and um I would imagine, well, do you have any other role models for us? Well, uh, the wonderful writing example is J.K. Rawlings. Well, hold that thought, Janice. Hold that thought because I want to hear about that. We're coming up on break. So when we get back, Janice will tell us about uh, J.K. Rawlings as a role model for grieving. We'll be (laughs) back. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Are there times when you feel inadequate dealing with the difficult emotions of grieving families? Would you like to help these families but don't know where to start? If so, grief counselor Addie Anderson can help. 
Discover what many funeral homes already know about meeting the emotional needs of families that they serve. Be a valued resource to families during a time when they need it most. They'll appreciate your commitment to their well-being. Call Addie Anderson at 708-870-6255 to schedule a consultation. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com This is Let's Talk About Grief with Addie Anderson. If you want more information about our program, please feel free to visit TherapyOakPark.net. That's TherapyOakPark.net. Now, back to Let's Talk About Grief. Welcome back. We are talking to Dr. Janice Clark Johnston, and before the break, she was about to tell us about another role model for grieving, uh, J.K. Rowling. So let us know, Janice, about her. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, J.K. Rowling, everybody knows who she is. These wonderful books about Harry Potter have become quite famous, but... What is behind the story is even more interesting. She got the idea of the character of Harry Potter when she was traveling on a train from Manchester to London. Mm -hmm. And she started writing in earnest. She got the idea, and it was a passionate one. And she just threw herself into writing. But six months later, her mother died from battling multiple sclerosis for 10 years. And Mm. Rowling had written in secrecy, and then she just felt a lot of regret that she had never shared what she was doing with her mother. So her grieving process, became a very strong influence in her writing. And Mm -hmm. she once said that in many ways, all of her characters were defined by their attitude to death and the possibility of death. Hmm. So it's, it's quite interesting what people choose to do with their grieving, but for Rowling, it um, was just, her grieving was woven into her storytelling. Yeah, I I did not know that. <laughs> I had no clue about that. And so it's it, it was her taking a strength that she had or a desire that she Mm -hmm. had and channeling that energy into something that was fulfilling to her. Yes. So, and, and, you know, I guess that could be a lesson for us all, you know, to look at, to think about what your strengths are. Are there um, things that you at one point used to do, found pleasurable, but stop doing them? You know, once you got into this, lost mindset and to see if it's possible to tap into those things again similar to what she did and create something with the potential and possibility of creating something beyond something you could even imagine yes i i wonder 
how her stories might have been different if this incredible loss, both of her mother's illness and eventual death, had not occurred at that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. We just and don't so know. We, we just don't know. And so, you know, we, we, we've talked about already just how devastating, you know, grief can be. Um, so how would you, what would you say to people and let them know how they can meet just their basic needs? You know, sometimes I can't tell you how many clients I've heard say, I just can't get out of bed. You know, I don't want to go to work. I prefer to be alone. Um, my appetite is non-existent or I'm just eating everything in sight. <laughs> so... When people find it difficult to even meet their basic needs when they're grieving, what what can you say to them? Like, how can how can they do that? I think I've heard all of those <laughs> kinds of statements that you've just said as well. Mm-hmm. I would look at it this way: caring for yourself every day is a privilege. Hmm. It's about having compassion for yourself. It's perhaps treating yourself the way you like to treat your best friend. Mm -hmm. And it becomes easier when you remind yourself to be in the present moment. Mm -hmm. I think an exercise of meditation could be helpful. Because mm-hmm. meditation is all about being in the present moment. Yes. But being able to approach food in this way, ask yourself, what can I eat for breakfast that is nutritious? Mm-hmm. What can I eat for lunch that is nutritious? Or what can I do with this bit of free time this evening that will help me feel like I belong? Hmm. Or what can I do to have a better ability in, wow, you name it. Mm -hmm. I loved hearing an interview with Senator Cory Booker this weekend that Mm -hmm. he is learning Spanish. This is a man mm. with many degrees, but he yeah. is still setting ability goals. Mm-hmm. So the way I look at it, there are five basic needs for energy, for discipline. You've got to make a few rules just to get out of bed on time every day. Mm-hmm. Creativity. Wow. Find something that you can be creative about. Belonging. Who is mm-hmm. your tribe? Who do you hang out with? And ability. Yes. What is your potential? What might you achieve? Because I think when you can name basic needs, then you can set intentions about what you're going to do about those needs. Mm-hmm. Again, this is having a growth mindset. Mm-hmm. I am growing, I am learning as I go, I am looking for meaning. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, and what I hear is for us to be intentional about mm-hmm. our lives and not just to, you know, like be on autopilot and, and let things happen to us and around us without recognizing that we have the power within us you know, to develop this growth mindset if we don't already have it. Yes. Now, uh, you gave us the age range for midlifers. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now I want to ask you a question about baby boomers because I, I don't know this for sure, but I'm thinking that baby boomers are now a huge segment of the population. Yes, that's true. <laughs> and so... When it comes to baby boomers, what I do know is that we have kind of broken the mold in a lot of areas of how we live our lives, how we responded to things, right? I'm wondering if that also kind of crosses over into grief and loss. Like, do you think that baby boomers deal with grief and loss differently than, say, previous generations? I would say yes and no. No, because grieving is difficult for every generation, but yes, because I think that many baby boomers realize that talking about their grieving is acceptable behavior. Mm -hmm. It hasn't always been so acceptable, and I think our culture has not been open to talking about grief. But Mm -hmm. as baby boomers, we are a crowd that (laughs) wants to share our story. And I think if you share your grief story, you will find more support for yourself. I think there are more baby boomers who... Yeah, who understand that it's not a sign of weakness to cry when you're sad. Yes, absolutely. And and to not feel as if you have to go through this alone, which is the power of groups, is what yeah. I kind of heard you say. Yes, exactly. And also, I would imagine that a lot of the shame that may have come in previous generations, you know, around grief. But, Mm -hmm. you know, I say that, but oftentimes, too, when I study grief, I look back and it seems like in in the olden days, as they say, that they were probably getting it more right than we were (laughs) in later (laughs) years and that we are now trying to kind of go back to our roots, so to speak, and kind of you know, treat grief and loss in a way that is is more more helpful, you know, to us, to our families. And the hope of this show is to get people talking about grief and recognizing that it's not something that you can just or need to just kind of put away and bring it out when you think you need it. Because if you haven't done the work or uh, thought about it, you know, when you pull it off the shelf, it's just not going to kind of unravel in the way that you probably think it will. Yes, I think the fact that there is a show that is talking about grief is a sign 
that there is more openness to discussing this topic, that it's okay for people to admit that they are having a tough time. Mm-hmm. So my hat's off to whoever created this show. I think it's a great idea. Well, thank you, Janice. Thank you very much. And so we're coming up towards the end of the show now, and I just want to ask you, you know, a question about, um, you know, yourself, you know, because I mentioned in your bio that you are a gardener, and it's something that you definitely love. And so, yes. <laughs> so does the work you do as a, as a gardener remind you in any way of life or death? Yes, it does. I see the progression of plant life. Some plants have very short lifespans, and my garden teaches me to be present, to be in Mm -hmm. the moment. Today, there are fewer lilies in the yard than last week. July Mm -hmm. is lily season, and the last of the lilies are taking their stand. However, there are daisies, there are coneflowers, flocks are blooming big time. It's their turn in the sun. Mm. I had a red raspberry turn that ran out last week, but my tomatoes are just turning red. So it's the circle of life in the garden, just like Mm. life cycles for people and the way I look at it all of us have an inner garden to mend and tend we have Mm -hmm. to mend our personalities as we grieve but we do have a core self that is strong always there for us keeping us rooted And with that, we can learn to turn grief into fertilizer for new growth. That is excellent. (laughs) I love the way you the way you explain that. And I it definitely is a great visual. And so I I am extremely grateful that you were on the show today. And that you just kind of departed all this wisdom on us. You know, it it shows that talking about grief doesn't have to be doom and gloom. So thank you, Janice, for coming today. And I want to thank thank you. (laughs) And thank everybody for listening. You can purchase Dr. Johnston's book, Midlife Maze, A Map to Recovery and Rediscovery After Loss on Amazon. If you have a show idea or would like to be a guest, email me at letstalkgrief.com at gmail.com or call 708-870-6255. Thanks for listening, and I look forward to our conversation next week. Thank you for tuning in to Let's Talk About Grief. Please join your host, Addie Anderson, again next Monday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Until we speak again, be there for a loved one who might need you this week.